Welcome to Road to Play Podcast. I am your game master, Kent Blue. We are an actual play podcast where I play tabletop role-playing games with my friends from all over the world. So if you're ready, grab a player sheet, grab some dice, and let's roll to play. is Kent from Road to Play Podcast, and I'm back this week with another episode, trying something a little different, because, well, all my recording opportunities fell through, the games I had recorded had problems, so I'm scrambling, couldn't really get anything scheduled, so I'm going to bring to you a solo role-playing game. Uh, yes, those exist. You don't have to have a group of people to do a role-playing game. You can do them all by yourself. And case in point, I'm going to be running for Call of Cthulhu Alone Against the Flames, which is, like I said, it's a solo role-playing game using the Call of Cthulhu uh, rule set. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure with dice rows, but it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I haven't read through it, so that everything I do is going to be a surprise to me. But I've read through similar before, and it's pretty pretty interesting. So we're going to jump into that uh, right now, you know, because I'm not feeling too well this week. So we're going to get right to the game and get going. Alone Against the Flames. Um, I've already got my character sheet ready and stuff. Uh, got my dice ready. So we're just going to get rolling. Starting with number one. The sun is high in the sky. A merciless ball of heat. I feel scorched by the time I reach the bus halt in front of Osborne's drugstore. It's a relief to put down my heavy cases and take off my hat for a moment. Oh, oh goodness, it's hot. I fan my face. It's been a long summer here in my hometown, yet curiously empty. I look across the street at the grubby butcher shop, the grocer's with its faded awning and the shabby tobacconist. Mistrustful faces glare at me as they pass, eyeing my clothes and my luggage. It was my parents' choice to live here, not mine. I was happy down south as a child, among Providence's white-walled houses and leafy churchyards, but... Perhaps this new job in Arkham will supply the change I need. Yet, everyone I know lives here. Everyone in the whole world lives here. I don't know anybody in Arkham. Not one person. Am I doing the right thing? The answer's here. None of my supposed friends have come to see me off. I'm all alone. Whatever challenges lie in Arkham, it'll be a new life. A brave one. Just down the way, I see a small gray motor approaching, and it rattles to a stop. Put my hat back on, pick up my cases. I'm going to go to, pay, to number 263 now. Two young men with sullen expressions alight from the coach. One looks me up and down before heading away. The driver also steps down, glancing at me before crossing the street to visit the tobacconist. I watch him as he goes, wondering, what once again, what life is ahead of me. He comes back, rolling a fresh cigarette between his fingers. He gives the cigarette a final twist. And examines me as I as he reaches for his matchbox. He's thin, he's thin, probably in his fifties. He's got a stained shirt with the bus company emblem, but his eyes are sharp in their dark socket. Where to? I pull out my ticket for a sippy. From there, I will connect to Rochester and Portsmouth before the coastal line to Newbury, and then finally to Arkham. I should be able to afford a rail ticket for at least some of the way. I'm thinking. Otherwise, this will be the first of many long bus trips. Mm-hmm. 
driver scratches the match and lights a cigarette. The end flares as he takes a draw. Then he exhales and gestures to the back of the coach. Luggage racks back there. All right, so I'm going to take a look at my investigator sheet, uh, come up with some stats, and let you know what they are. All right, so I've come up with the stats for my eight core characteristics. Um, I've got strength, which I've got at 60, con, which uh, constitution, which I've got at 50, size, which I've got at 50, dexterity at, at 80, appearance at 50, intelligence at 60, my power is at 40, and my education is at 70. So... I'm smart, you know, got some street smarts, got some intelligence. I'm average looking, nothing to, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pop out in a crowd, but I am pretty weak, but quick, but weak. Not too big either. All right, so now we're going to jump to page 8 or not page 8, but section 8. This PDF's really cool. Um you can get it on Chaosium's website for free, and you just the the, the numbers you go to are highlighted, so you just click it and it takes you right there. All right, so number 8. The driver smokes and watches as I drag my cases back to the motor coach. No interest in helping. The rack is set inconveniently high on the vehicle. I get a grip on, my, on the heavier case. Alright, so my size is higher than 40 because I, uh, I'm at 50, so I'm going to go to 38. The driver continues to enjoy his cigarette as he watches me with keen interest as I struggle with the cases. I grip my teeth and heave that second case up, on, up into place. Perhaps, I think, wiping my brow, the residents of Arkham will have better manners. I mean, come on, this guy, this is his bus company. He should be helping me out. I'm giving him my hard-earned money. But instead, he just flicks his cigarette into the gutter and steps into the motor coach. Its engine coughs into life. I board, grateful that I'll be the only passenger for at least the initial part of this trip. And it's with mixed emotions that I watch from the window as the tired avenues of my old home slip behind, receding into the distance. For a few minutes, I can still see the church's spire over the brow of a low hill. Then the road dips, and it too is gone. Alright, so next up I'm going to take my characteristics, and I'm going to have them, and then divide by five also to get, to get a couple other numbers for more difficult roles. I've got to figure up my my starting sanity, which is equal to my original pal, which is 40. So that's kind of low, especially for Call of Cthulhu, a game that uses sanity as a mechanic. So I'm a little worried about that. Uh, and that makes my, my magic points at 8. Also kind of low. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully there's nothing too hard on my sanity here. All right. So we're, I think we're done that. I've got it noted on my character sheet. So we are going to jump over to 134 and see what happens. The coach putters through the countryside. At first, the interior is stifling and my stomach lurches with every bend in the road. However, thankfully, the driver opens his window and I switch seats and find the spot where the breeze just hits nice on my face. I begin to relax. And, you know, I kind of enjoy the ride. It's, it's quaint. At one point, a heavyset woman boards at one settlement, gives me a polite nod. We don't share a conversation or anything, and she gets off at the next one. It's nice. The road rises a little, passing cornfields and orchards. The leaves are turning and the trees are alive with glorious reds and golds. I have just begun to doze when the driver takes a tight bend at speed. Alright, so now I've got to figure up my my beginning hit points. I'm going to do that by adding my size and my con and then divide the total by 10. That puts me at 10 starting hit points. Not great, but that's okay. I also have a luck score I've got to figure up. I'm going to roll three six-sided dice and multiply that by five to get my beginning luck. So let's do that. All right, my luck's going to start at 50, so middle of the road there. Okay. 
Now we're going to make our first actual roll of the game. I've got to roll against my dexterity, which is my high stat, to see how I navigate this uh, this quick turn that this driver's taken. So here we go. We're going to grab two d10. In Call of Cthulhu, you want to roll equal to or less than your your skill to succeed. So I got a pretty good chance here. But I roll a 92. So, yeah, that doesn't go well. I fail my dexterity roll, so let's see what happens. So, I failed, so I'm going to go to 59. A desperate yell awakens me. I feel myself slide from the seat as the driver spins the wheel and the motor coach plunges off the road. Too late, I reach for the seat in front of me. I fall into the aisle and my ribs crash against the edge of the seat opposite. Breath rushes out of me. The coach stops with a thump. Oh, hard hit on my side. Knocked the breath right out of me. The driver jumps from his seat into the road. As I lay there, dizzy in the aisle, I hear a string of incendiary curses. But eventually the driver climbs back into the cab and sees me on the floor. He looks concerned and actually helps me back into my seat. Kind of surprised at this, knowing his lack of manners earlier. Uh, but yeah, once I'm back in my seat, I see what's happened. There's a Fordson tractor stopped right in the middle of the road, and he had to swerve to avoid the steel obstacle. Sorry, he says. All them fields, and he has to pick the road to park? You alright? I feel myself over. Nothing really feels broken, but I know tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to have a nice, colorful bruise right there on my ribs. But the driver goes back to his seat, backs up, threads around the tractor gives the farmer in the middle of the road a nice glaring look as he drives by. So, due to this accident, I'm going to lose my first hit point. So I go from 10 to 9. I'll have to keep track of that and hope I don't end up at 0. But for now, let's go to 71. Alright, I resume my journey. The driver takes the curves with more caution before, thankfully. He glances over his shoulder at me a couple times. Sorry about before, he says. That fellow was dumber than a hog. I'm Silas. What's your name? The accident was at least as much Silas's fault as the farmer's, but it doesn't seem shrewd to antagonize the man while he is driving me through the middle of nowhere. I tell him my name's Reed Durbin, and I'm 26 and on my way to Arkham. He turns onto a smaller road, which weaves uphill through the woodlands, and he becomes chatty. Going to Arkham, eh? Can't say I, can't say I ever heard of the place. Went to Boston once. Didn't like it. Too much hustle and bustle. You got family there? Special someone waiting? The afternoon's wearing on. I see no harm in confiding in Silas about my new life. A job, eh? What's your line? Uh, tell Silas. I said, well, I'm a journalist, and I, you know, I'm going to Arkham to to seek out new opportunities, uh, you know, bigger scale. So since I told him I'm a journalist, I'm going to go to to number two thirty nine here. I mentioned my reporter's job, which I secured at the Arkham Gazette on the strength of a few freelance pieces in my local newspaper. It'll be a relief to get away from vapid society columns and whimsical stories, I think. I understand the Gazette covers everything from breakthroughs of researchers at Miskatonic University to the most sordid exploits of local ne'er-do-wells. It should be something to get my teeth into, at any rate. A writer? For the newspaper? Silas seems confused, as if he thought stories somehow wrote themselves. Alright, so I've got a credit rating skill of 20% because I am just a journalist. I uh, don't make a whole lot of money. Uh, I'm going to allocate some occupation skills, uh, some points I've got as my occupation skills that come with a journalist. I have arts and crafts, photog- photography, photography specifically, history, library use, own language, psychology, and either one of either charm, fast talk, or intimidate. So I'm going to mark those down. 
Uh, and then I get to pick two other skills, uh, except for Cthulhu Mythos. In Call of Cthulhu, you actually have to encounter the Mythos to get a, to get skill on that. So I'm not going to put anything there. Uh, I'm going to allocate those, and then we'll move on. All right, so I have taken points in Charm at 70 because I feel like my, my main... The main reason I've succeeded as a as a journalist is my ability to charm people uh, to get to get interviews and stuff. I uh, also took history. I've got a pretty high history. I'm good at research, so 60 in that. Uh, 40 in my own language. Um, 60 in my library use. Uh, 40 in psychology, and uh, 50 in photography. So now that I've done that, we're going to jump on over to 128 and see where the story takes us. So I realized after a while that Silas hasn't made another stop since the incident with the tractor. The motor coach winds its way uphill. However, my thoughts are interrupted as the road crests crests a ridge and I'm treated to a magnificent view of the vista below. A creek snakes through the valley, breaking the rich autumn palette of of the tree lines. In the distance, the white mountains rise into a hazy cloud. There is no settlement, not even a cabin as far as the eye can see. Birds drift through the treetops and I can just make out what might be two white-tailed deer lingering by the water. Perhaps I'm making a mistake by moving to the city. Maybe I could survive on my own in this lush wilderness. Alright, so I have a base ability and most skills listed in brackets after each skill on my character sheet. Uh, Now I'm going to pick four skills, which are not my occupation skills. These are just kind of personal interest skills. I'm going to do that, pick those, and we'll be right back to continue the story. All right, so my personal interest skills, I tried to pick things that kind of helped me with my journalism. So like fast talk, I'm good at fast talking someone and, and getting underneath the story. Um, I also picked listen because as a journalist, I need to be a good listener. I need to be able to listen and hear things even when maybe I shouldn't be listening. Uh, good at dropping eaves maybe. Uh, and then I picked persuade, which... You know, I need to, sometimes I need to persuade and get myself into the door for, for a nice, juicy interview. And then last, I picked throw. Because, you know, probably as a young boy, I probably like to, to throw rocks maybe in rock wars down at the creek or something. So I probably have a pretty good, decent arm on me. So on all those scores, I just took the base score that, it, that you're allocated on the player sheet and added 20 to it. So let's jump on over to 144. The motor coach rattles on through the hills and Silas lapses into silence. The sky darkens behind me, pinks tinting the clouds as the sun descends. But finally, a welcome sight comes into view. A settlement on the crest of a hill. This doesn't look like the pictures I've seen of Ossipy, though. But perhaps I can persuade Silas to stop while I stretch my legs. But minutes later, there's a harsh stuttering from the engine. You know, this, this, this bus just... It seems to have troubles. I mean, it's not been the easiest of rides. But Silas frowns, rattles the gear stick, tries to get his stick, it doesn't. The motor coach falters in his ascent up this hill, and Silas begins to curse. Uh, he says a curse I don't recognize, and he grinds his teeth and struggles at the will. We seem to inch up the hill, just inch by inch, and when you just don't think we're going to make it, we reach the first building of low dwellings constructed from a rough red stone, and Silas wrestles the coach right into a small bay off the road. He pulls himself from his seat and makes for the engine compartment. All right, so now I have a choice. I'm going to make a roll against either drive auto or psychology. My drive auto skill is just base. It's 20%, and my psychology is 40. But if I'm going to roll against my psychology to kind of read the situation, it has to be a hard roll. So that's I have to make half. So I'm rolling against 20 no matter what. 
But I think that Reed would try to, well, read the situation. So I'm going to roll on my psychology. So I'm going to take my 2d10 and try to roll 20 or less. So let's see how this goes. Nope, that's a 57. Failed that one too. So I try to get a read on the situation. The road doesn't quite go my way, so we're going to go to 194. Silas opens the engine compartment and sticks his head inside. I hear the pop and sizzling of hot metal. He pokes around at a couple things, then withdraws and wipes his brow, putting a nice smear of dark grease across it. Well, I ain't sure what's wrong. Might be the oil pressure. Might be something knocked off kilter when we took that spill. Can't do much until the engine cools then either. And with the light failing, he motions to the sky, I reckon we'll be here through the night. Wipes his hands on a rag and drops it in, and stuffs it into his pocket. The shadows from, the surround, from my surroundings are already long and the air is chilly. I feel stiff from the journey and, and a night in the rickety coach sounds very unappealing. Silas must be able to see the dismay on my face. This here's Emberhead. Miles from any place. I only come through twice a week. But the folks here are good people. May Ledbetter keeps a spare room. She'll look after you. Up that alley, turn right, first house on the left. He scratches his cheek, looks again in the engine compartment, and spits on the ground. Meet back here at 8 in the morning, and we'll see how we stand. Alright, so I have another choice I need to make. I can, I can head off, go ahead and look for this May Ledbetter's house, or... You know, I could ask Silas, see where he's planning on staying, because maybe we should stay together, because, you know, I don't want I don't want to get left in the morning. I'm doing Arkham. I don't want him to forget all about me and take off without me, and I may be stuck in this, this town until he comes back. Or, you know, it seems convenient that, the, that, that maybe this, this auto broke down here, this place a few miles outside of nowhere, um, so... What do I want to do? Do I want to go look for this house? Do I want to see where Silas is staying? Or do do I really want to question him about the breakdown? Well, uh, I failed I failed on my psychology roll earlier. So I don't think I'm suspicious of anything. So I'm not going to challenge Silas. But I don't think I'm quite ready to go look for May Ledbetter's house either. So I'm going to go to 251 and ask Silas about where he's staying. So I asked Silas about his plans. He gives the engine a sour glance before answering. I got acquaintances here in the village. Reckon one of them owes me a favor. Enough for bed and breakfast in any case. He stares at his grubby hands. Probably won't stretch to a hot bath, though. Well, I don't seem to have a lot of options. So I grab my cases from the back of the motor. The last thing I want is for my all of my worldly possessions, everything in these bags, to go missing in some stranger's hovel overnight. Get over to 267. So, I drag my cases between the sullen buildings. I feel, I, you know, I'm feeling surprisingly weary, considering all I've done is sit in, a, in, in this, this truck all day. But, Silas's directions lead me to a modest dwelling with a slate roof. Nameplate right there on the door says Ledbetter, and underneath that a sign in neat copper plate reads Lodging Room. The lane everywhere around me is gloomy, but a lamp does flicker in the window. A cool breeze chills my face. I'm not about to begin my new life sleeping in the street. So I reach up, and I knock on the weather-beaten door. Let's go to four. After a moment, I hear footsteps inside the house. A boat is drawn back, and the wooden door swings open. A figure with loose curls and a rough-looking house dress looks out at me. 
Her gaze takes in my traveling suit and my cases. Her voice has a slight Irish lilt. Well, hello. Should I take it as you're looking for a room for the night? I ask about her rates, suppressing a grimace. As far as I've seen, the village does not offer many alternatives. Oh, you'll find them very reasonable, she says. You look tired. I may. Come inside and we'll talk over a cup of tea. The Ledbetter house is cramped. It feels cramped. It's got low ceilings, simple fittings, but it's well kept and a cheerful fire crackles in the grate. There's an aroma of tea that is very soothing and the cup, the cup is warm in my fingers. Have you come to Emberhead for the festival? asked May. So, I can hear I can either explain what happened with Silas and the coach, or I can ask her about the festival. But I'm probably just going to explain about what happened, what my situation is. Not really, you know, the festival doesn't really concern me. I'm on the way to Arkham, so I'm not too concerned with that right now. So yeah, I'll just go to 14 and ask and tell her about what happened. May shakes her head, and I glimpse a moment of deep-seated anger in her eyes. He always drives too fast, thinks the rose is made for him and him alone. He hit a mare some years back. That was a terrible thing. You should have seen the state of the coach. You'd be surprised at the damage done. She sips at her tea and gazes past me into the corner of the room. With living here, though, we can't afford to antagonize the man. He's about the only link we have to the world at large. And he's not a bad soul at heart. I suppose that going the same route for 15 years makes a man careless. You have to forgive him. She goes silent for a long moment. Then her eyes flick back to me, as if as if she realized something. But you didn't come here to listen to me blather. And you must be hungry. I can rustle you up a bit of stew. How would you like that? I ask her again about her race. And May names a price so low I accept it without hesitation. It's, it's I mean, so low. The room is small but comfortable, and the stew dark and hearty. After dinner, I have a couple of hours before my usual bedtime, so I'm going to use it. I can, you know, maybe I'll chat up May a little bit. Maybe I'll walk around outside and get my bearings. Or, you know, maybe I'll go ahead and get turn in and get some rest, get an early night. But I figure, you know, she's giving me such a low rate. She's giving me a place to stay. I might as well talk to May. You know, get to know her. Be pleasant with her. So I'm going to jump on over to 31. May, she talks about life in Emberhead. In her letters, my sister always asks if I'm not bored living in such a small place. She lives in New York. Then she writes about how frightened she is to walk home at night. I ask you. I mention my hopes for a new life in Arkham. May doesn't seem to hear me, though. It's weird. It's a small place here, but that means we have real community. Everyone's face is known. Everybody works together. Nobody's excluded. Except for those who choose to exclude themselves, of course. I couldn't live here anywhere else now. So I'm going to make a charm roll now, and that's a good stat. You know, I took a nice high value in charm of 70. So let's do that and see where this story goes. 51, that is a pass. I had a charm of 70 and I rolled a 51. So I succeed, so let's go to 39. As the hour wears on, May's upbeat manner descends into something more reflective. It's not always easy. I'm a widow, you know. We have a little money, and of course, I appreciate the custom of travelers like yourself. I know we'll never starve as long as we live here, but I don't see myself marrying again. I know every man in this village. I know him too well, if you see what I mean. Her mouth twists briefly. Then she yawns and pushes her pushes a hand through her hair. Well, time for me to turn in. When would you like your breakfast? All right, so I'll go to 63. As May stands, I hear a clunk behind me. 
I look over my shoulder, but all I can see is the wooden door, securely closed. May Tut, the young lady of the house, she'll have been listening to us. Ruth, come and greet our guest. There's a short pause, then the door creaks open. Two wide eyes peer at me from the gap, between tussled hair and a rough nightgown. What do you say? The eyes blink. Pleased to meet you. Now get back to bed. The door closes. My daughter Ruth, ten years this summer, she's a delight and a torment all at one. Don't worry, she sleeps in with me. She'll not disturb you. Good night now. I retire to my own room. Uh, it's a little chilly, but, you know, I'm too tired to really worry about the lighting, about lighting the fire. The sheets are clean, and the bed soon warms up anyways. I do find the silence outside a little strange after living in town for so long, but eventually I doze right into sleep. Let's go to 154. I dream of fire in the in the grate. Coruscating colors shimmering through the dancing tongues of flame. At first they're tiny, almost microscopic, but they grow and grow until a kaleidoscopic inferno spills from the fireplace, spreading across the floor, up the sheets. I wake with a start. Oh. Daylight glints through the curtains. I get up and examine the grate, blinking the sleep from my eyes. It is quite cold, but it's such a vivid dream. Well, I can heal back that one damage I took because I had a good night's sleep, so I'm back up to 10 damage. Woo! 10 health points. Not not 9 anymore. <laughs> Let's go to 166, everyone. So, it seems that May has no running water, but she supplied me with some in a ceramic jug. I freshen up at the wash stand and go in. She cooks a hearty breakfast and, and leaves me in peace to eat. At about 7.30, I pay up, pack, and get ready to go. I bid May farewell. She wishes me the best for my career in Arkham. So she, you know, she's so nice, really nice lady. So now, um, I'm going to go to 192. I'm already tired of these heavy bags. I'm hoping Silas has repaired the motor coach and I can resume my long journey. A sour puss he might be, but the old drivers seem to understand his vehicle well enough. I pause to check my watch, still 20 minutes early, and round the final corner. The motor coach is gone. It's gone. I put my bags down and search the area, trekking up and down slopes and around corners. At the edge of the village, I trace the long road back as it winds across the hills. Eight o'clock comes and goes. Their coach is nowhere to be seen. A passing villager notices my bags. Looking for the bus? I heard him take off at first light. He's due back in three or four days. If you need a place to stay, May Ledbetter rents a room. The man raises his hat to me and strolls on into the village. I curse Silas under my breath. Perhaps he went for parts. But I wonder if the old goat has stranded me here on purpose. Let's go to 218. So I head back. May is doing laundry and looks surprised to see me. Forget something? When I explain the situation, she offers to store my bags while I try to arrange alternatives of transport. I'm very grateful to relinquish the load. Nobody here has anything like a car. She strokes her chin and narrows her eyes. Maybe you could find someone with a horse and a cart for your bags. I could ask around later. Try Mr. Winters at the Village Hall. He'll know if anyone will. Or ask among the artisans. Their workshops are first left on Silsbury Street. She reaches over and squeezes my wrist. Don't worry, I won't see you sleeping in the street, money or no money. I thank May and turn, and turn to face the village. Let's go to six. I wander the streets of Emberhead without any particular destination in mind. The village is built on a relatively flat upland with splendid views. 
To the north, the hazy tips of the White Mountains reach for the heavens. To the south, the sparkling waters of Lake Winnipesaukee touch the horizon. The village itself takes less than five minutes to cross from edge to edge. I arrive on the winding road to the west. The only other road leads to the south, following a lower ridge of land as it turns east. In the southwest of the village, an opie grassy space borders a ruined church, its graveyard cresting the cliffs. To the northeast, the three main thoroughfares meet at a raised black metal structure. It looms stark against the blue sky. Alright, so I'm here with some choices to make again. I can ask about transport at the local general store. Hmm, maybe. That seems probably the best. Uh, I could seek out the village hall and, and talk to, to someone there. I could walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road. Or I could examine that large metal structure. So let's see. I really think asking about transportation, that is my biggest concern right now. But I did get the name of somebody that's at Village Hall. I'm not ready to go look at the large metal structure yet. Just because, I mean, it's not concerning me too much. I mean, it's just some sort of statue or, you know, some sort of something to do with this town. And honestly, I'm not too concerned with the town. So I think I am going to go to Village Hall. So the Village Hall backs against a cliff at the east end of Silberry Street. It's the largest building I've seen so far in the Emberhead. It is, however, locked and shuttered. I walk around it, peering through the gaps in the shutters. Seems to be one large room, presumably for community meetings, maybe? And a smaller annex, which probably serves as like an office or an archive. One of the windows is also bricked up. It's strange. Back at the main door, though, I can see no posted opening hours. Mr. Winters doesn't open up in mornings this time of year, says a gray-garbed woman passing by. Best come back this afternoon. I ask whether the office has a telegraph. Don't know. Who would we call? Well, I mean, it looks like I'll have to try again later, it looks like. So let's go to 25. <clears throat> so I'm beginning to get my bearings in Emberhead. It's small, so maybe I'll explore a little bit more. I can choose choose another option. I'm not going to, you know, it says don't to, don't repeat any previous choice. And once I've tried all four before that, I can go to three. Do I want to ask about local transport at the general store? Oh, I've already gone to the village hall. I could walk down the lower road. I could explore the church. So let's see. Let's. Next, let's go. Let's look for local people who might have their own transport. Let's do that. So not far from the Ledbetter house on the north side of Silberry Street, there's an open courtyard. There's a rhythmic tattoo of a hammer seems to announce my approach. The courtyard is the busiest location I've seen yet here in Emberhead. It's bordered by a ring of workshops. Some are brick buildings, some only rough huts. A blacksmith ceases to hammer, thrusting something red and glowing into the bucket of cold water. A weaver looks up from his loom, blinking at me a moment before returning to his shuttle. A potter, engraver, carpenter... Each work in their own space, exchanging friendly banner. I move among the artisans, chatting about their work. Eventually, I bring up questions of export. Some of them send occasional packages with Silas. Some restrict their custom entirely to villagers. I receive no suggestions about alternatives to transport. All right, time for another roll on the old psychology. I'm going to roll on psychology and see what I can figure out from this situation. So here we go. 
Gotta get 40 or better. Four, well, 40 or, 40 or less. 86. Not my day for rolling on psychology. So, I failed that. Let's go to 25. And let's try something else. So, I've already gone to the general store. I've gone to the local people. Or no, no, I haven't gone to the village. Let's go, let's go to the general store. I haven't done that yet. So, let's go to 16, the general store. All right, the general store is on a corner beside the main road just before it plunges to the south. The shopkeeper is a brisk, immense lady with a starched apron and strong shoulders. She looks hard at my unfamiliar face. Transport? There's a motor coach comes through twice a week. Missed it? Hmm. Truck brings in my supplies every second Tuesday, but he's not due until next week. It seems Emberhead is content to keep its distance from the outside world. I have enough money to buy one or two inexpensive everyday items here. Uh, so, I will. I'll buy, you know, it doesn't, there's no weapons or anything, except maybe there's like a hunting knife, but I'm just going to buy some, something to keep water in, and maybe a little, maybe just some, a loaf of bread. Alright, so I struck out at the general store, I struck out at the village hall. Let's see, let's go, you know what, whatever, let's just take a moment, let's go look at that large metal structure. Let's go to 57. See what that's all about. I walk up the approach, the most central of the village's major streets. It points directly at the odd metal structure. As I emerge from the shade of the nearby buildings, I'm greeted by a magnificent panorama spread from the north to the south. The last colors of fall tint the hills in sleepy gold. The structure, by contrast, is made from uncompromising iron, singed black. It supports an immense curved platform at the same level as my head. Further struts snake up to a central point. It looks like there may have been some kind of sculpture at one time, but now, but are now just twisted and melted beyond recognition. An older gentleman passes, looking up at me with roomy eyes. Are you here for the festival? He asks. That's the beacon. When they light it, night after next, you'll be able to see it ten miles away. He gives a little nod of satisfaction, then moves on, leaning on his walking stick. It's at this point I noticed the bundles of wood tied stacked against the buildings nearby. Perhaps this festival would be interesting diversion. I really need to get to Arkham as soon as possible. Alright, it's going to call for a spot hidden, which I have 50, 50 in. You know, spot hidden is a good stat in Call of Cthulhu. If you ever play Call of Cthulhu, always want to make sure you have some spot hidden. So let's roll this and see what happens. 68. So... Everybody, anybody who's ever played Call of Cthulhu with me knows I roll for crap in this game. I'm always failing. So, missed my spot hidden, so I don't see I don't see anything. Nothing at all. So let's go back to 25. Alright, so we've looked at everything, except we haven't gone down to the lower level to check out the eastern road, and we haven't explored the church. You know, in small backwater towns, churches can sometimes be problems. So I'm thinking we go to the eastern road. So walking, at least I'm getting a lot of good exercise in in this small town, you know? I mean, at least I'm not just sitting around on my butt. But the air is fresh, and the walk down to the lower ridge is actually invigorating. I notice cultivated fields stretching through the lowlands around Emberhead and among the crops some livestock, but no horses. The thought crosses my mind that I might have to walk to Arkham on foot, carrying those heavy bags. Ugh. <sighs> Further down the road, the road skirts the edge of the ridge and descends. 
There are a few scattered hovels here with signs of habitation. Uh, they are set a substantial distance apart, though. As I examine them, a door opens and an older man steps out. He's wearing a bedraggled suit, but carries a piece of cloth, which he tosses over his head like a hood. As he does this, he sees me and freezes. So, we call him for a luck roll. Let's see what happens. Am I lucky this day? Only got a 50 in luck, and my rolls have not been good. But this time it is by one. I rolled 49, so I am lucky. If I succeed, go to 127. The man looks up at the village, scanning the clifftops. I get a brief flash of his face. There's something unsettling about it, and he turns to walk away from the road. But as he does, he raises a head and slowly beckons me. Do I want to follow this strange man? He's calling to me, but there's just something off about him. I can either follow him or I can not. You know, this is the first, like, line of, this is the first anything, really, to happen. I mean, the first first thing to kind of go my way, so I think I am. I think I'm going to follow him and see what's up. I mean, maybe he has a way out. Maybe he's going to tell me of a way out. Maybe he has transportation. It's the only thing that seems to be going my way. This man wants me to follow him. So on to 142. I follow him around the outcrop. He glances up, then steps between two rocks and vanishes. He's just gone. I go in closer uh, to inspect and reveals a narrow channel leading into the cliff. There's just enough light to see a small natural chamber within. I'll be uncomfortably close with the man if I go inside. Really close to him. I mean, really so close that he could do anything to me and I wouldn't have much room to, to do anything. So I can follow him in, or I can keep my distance. But I think I've chose to follow him so far. So I'm going to go. I'm going to squeeze between those two rocks. Squeeze in there with him. So on to 191. With wary steps, I squeeze between the rocky outcrop and enter the concealed chamber, almost banging my head on the low ceiling. The man settles back against the wall and watches until I draw close. Then he slides back his hood. And here is my first sanity roll. Let's see if I'm going to lose some sanity. So what we can call Cthulhu, you roll on your sanity, uh, and if you roll over it, you're going to lose some. So let's make a roll. My sanity is only 40, so this isn't gonna may not go well for me. 43. I just miss it. Oh, so I've got to mark off one sanity. Down to 39. All right, I'm heading on over to 199. Let's see what I see. Some of the man's face remains. A strip from the side of his jaw to his right eye socket is healthy and pale, if aged. But the left side is consumed by angry scar tissue. One eye droops, hooded by melted flesh. And the nostril on that side is pulled open to leave a gaping hole. The disfigured man studies my reaction with this one good eye. Name's Arbogast. Willard Arbogast. Guess I don't need to ask what brings you to Emberhead. All right, so I can claim that I came here for the for the festival, or I can admit that I've been stranded here. I'm not sure. I feel like, you know, I don't I don't know enough about the festival. So if this guy starts asking questions about the festival, I'll probably get caught in a lie. So I'm just going to stick with the truth. I'm going to admit that uh, Silas has stranded me here, and I'm going to go to 214. That swollen mouth gives a little twist downwards. Son of a bitch has rat's blood. His fingers tighten into a fist. Oh man. Going to 221. Arbogast fixes 
fixes me with a lopsided yet intense stare. You seek me out, eh? He looks up at the cave ceiling. Which one of them told you about me? Never mind, it don't matter. Truth is, they fear what I know. They never come at me direct. Don't want to end up like old Arbogast. <laughs> he giggles. The high-pitched sound is all the more grotesque coming from those bloated lips. Then abruptly, his gaze turns to the iron. Emberhead died 40 years ago. Shattered by flame, consumed by the stars themselves. The ancient hill was cleansed by inferno, and from the blackened ground came new life, as is the way of all things. The Abenaki knew. Arbogast wipes his nose on his sleeve, except none of that happened. The flames were turned away. The necessary death postponed a year, and a year again, and now those up there. He stabs scrawny fingers at the ceiling, think themselves saviors of the village. They think they can defy the great old ones. Yeah, Cthulhu! He shakes his head. With strange aeons, their lives matter less than the blink of an eye. A fierce intelligence burns in his gaze, but I suspect Arbogast may be quite insane. Should his moods change, it would not be difficult for him to seize one of those loose rocks and just crack my skull wide open with it. I can ask Arbogast about Abenaki and go to 227, or I can ask him about the Great Old Ones and go to 237, or I can ask him about the villagers. Or I can leave while I still can. I mean, can I? I mean, I'm in a closed space, and I'm sure he's spry. Uh, well, I don't understand Abenaki. I don't know anything about any great old ones, but I've met the villagers. So let's go to 245, and let's, let's ask him about the villagers. Arbogast's face twists, creasing the scarred cheek. Puh! Their fathers and mothers knew the truth. They listened. They knew their doom and found their place within it. They looked into their own hearts and did the unspeakable. The current brood have the arrogance of children. Everything has been given to them and they assume it always will. He glares at the cave ceiling. They would that I left or died. That I took the old words with me. Mark. But mark what I say. Those who live in high places have further to fall. Arbogast runs a hand through his hair. A wide strip is missing on the left side, displaced by scar tissue. He climbs to his feet. Arbogast pauses in the shadows. There's something about you, something the previous ones never had. Perhaps you can make it through. If you want to hear more, meet me again after dark, nine o'clock. The graveyard on the other side. He, he lifts a gnarled finger. Don't be followed, else I won't be there. This ain't the time of year for a showdown. He wipes his nose on his sleeve again. Go now. Their eyes are on me. And stranger, don't try to run. You'll never make it. I emerge into the sunlight blinking and more than a little shaken. I've discovered a secret. Later tonight, the text will offer me a chance to follow up on a previous appointment. At that point, if I want to meet with Arbogast again, I add 20 to my current entry number and go to that new entry. Okay. All right. 20 to my current entry number and go to that new entry. All right. For now, though, I get to go to 160. Alright, so I turn back to the road and my core business, getting out of Emberhead, especially now and onward to Ossipee. The ridge gives me a good viewpoint from which I can see the course of the road. It winds with the hills disappearing into woodland for a while before emerging further on. I lose sight of it somewhere towards the towards a second patch of woodland. By my best estimation, it's at least six or seven miles distant. I see no other settlements or traffic. It could be worth taking a chance and walking. The weather's mild, but I would need supplies before I attempt it. I'm gonna jump back to 25. So, we've done everything here except for go to the church. So let's go, let's go to that church.
So I head back. I cross the street towards the church. As I glance to my left, my gaze alights on the large metal structure. Something bothers me about its positioning. I back up and look again. Yes, Emberhead's central thoroughfare points directly at the structure. It seems to be way too precise to be a coincidence. But I press on and draw into the shadow of the church. The building is in sorry state. The top of the steeple is missing with a ragged gash of splintered boards marking its absence and the floors beneath it have collapsed. It appears to have torn through the roof of the main building as it fell. Only the back half is still intact. The white paint which once covered the church has yellowed and peeled. It seems safe enough to explore the rear section. Old pews are stacked against the wall, choked with mildew. Most of the windows are broken. I guess this church has been disused for probably about 20 years. Not much to interest me. Make a ride roll. I may have a bonus die. So that means I get to roll the tens, my tens dice twice and take the better result. So we're going to roll on my ride, which my ride is five. 5% on my ride. This ain't going to go well, folks. Let's see. Nope. The best I could do was a 29. So I failed my ride roll. I wonder what's going to happen here. So we are going to go over back to 25. Uh, so I've done everything here. So we're going to go to three. We are going to go up to three. Because I've, I've exhausted the list of everything in section 25. So my morning exertions have left me very hungry. I roam the streets of Emberhead looking for some some sort of sustenance. You know, I bought the bread, but it's kind of hard. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm gonna see if there's there's a fresh meal. But there's nothing resembling busy cafes of my hometown or anything that might be called a restaurant. It's beginning to look like the bread's gonna have to be what I eat. But then I notice May Ledbear coming down the street with the girl trailing in her wake. It must be Ruth. As she notices me, she races past her mother and approaches me with a smile. This is a much different Ruth than the shy creature of last night. As she reaches me, she stops and stretches her arms up in celebration. She looks into my eyes. Abruptly, the smile drops on her face, and she looks several years older. Get out before the festival, she hisses. Get out! She blinks hard, then scuttles back towards her mother. May approaches, wrapping an arm around her daughter's so shoulders. She smiles. How are you getting on? Have you found transport? Startled, I explain the frustrations of the situation. I try Mr. Winters in the village hall. He's always in of an afternoon. You'll be hungry by now. Help yourself to any food in the house. The door's not locked. I glance at Ruth where she has squirreled herself behind her mother's legs. Her eyes implore me to silence. All right, so I can ask Ruth about what she said. I can ask May about what she said, about what Ruth said. Or I can say nothing. I mean, Ruth is looking at me. She, just imploring me not to say anything. And she warned me, so I trust her. So I think... I think it's best not to betray her. I don't want to get her in trouble. And this town just... You know, some of these people just seem a little off. So I'm going to say nothing. Go to 22. So I take my leave of the Leadbetters and head toward their house. Because you know what? Whatever Miss Leadbetter fixed since it's going to be much better than this hard bread the door does open easily like she said in the low kitchen i can i make a meal from 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 some of her bread and leftover stew a little window offers a view to the mountains if i learned one thing this morning it was that emberhead streets hold little to occupy the visitor from out of town but there are still about five hours of daylight remaining i could take some provisions and bare essentials from the from my luggage and set out in hope of reaching another settlement before dark 
Or I could ask advice from this Mr. Winners. I, he wasn't there earlier, but maybe he will. Maybe he'll be there now. So I can prepare and walk out of town, or I could go back to the village hall. Hmm. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like I'm not quite ready to, to, to walk, because, I mean, I'm going to be leaving behind most everything I had. And, I mean, you know, I met one weird guy, and I and Ruth did warn, you know, Ruth did warn me to leave town. But, you know, I think I think I better check one more time at the village hall. Just one more time. Maybe maybe I can get myself a ride out of here. So let's go to 11. The village hall overlooks the lower north ridge of the village. I walk along Silberry Street to find it, conscious of the oppressive black metal structure framed at the end of the road. The shutters of the hall are open and some windows left ajar. There is no knocker, but a little bell over the entrance tinkles as I push the, push the front door. Inside, a sturdy door to my right is marked private. To my left, an opening leads through to the bright room. I take a few steps inside. Benches line the walls, and there are two notice boards mounted between the windows. Alright, so I can go up and examine the notice boards, or I can knock on the closed door. You know, I'm here for business, so let's just go. Let's go ahead and knock on that closed door. Get right down to business. So, 24. I raise my hand to knock on the door, but it opens just before I can wrap my knuckles against it. A middle-aged man behind it takes an involuntary step back, adjusting his spectacles. I hasten to apologize and introduce myself. He steadies himself and peers at me. I see. I'm Clyde Winters. Just visiting, you say? And you've come to see me? <laughs> Care for some coffee? I usually take a cup around this time in the afternoon. His invitation seems genuine enough and a good opportunity to ask any questions that that are on my mind, so I'm, I'll take him up on that. So, I step through the door marked private. The other side of the village hall is in marked contrast to the public space. The room is compact, lined, lined with shelves of books and file alcoves. One corner is reserved for, for a tiny pantry and what is presumably a water closet. I study Mr. Winters as he fills the percolator. Although thin on top, his hair is oiled and neatly swept back. His suit is a sober affair and well-tailored, even if the cut is a little old-fashioned. A lesser man working alone might have loosened his bow tie for comfort. On the desk opposite the wall, I notice what looks like a telegraph set. Hmm. Seems like someone told me there wasn't a telegraph. So I can ask about the telegraph immediately, or I can make some small talk with Mr. Winter first. I don't think I want to ruffle any feathers, so I'm going to small talk a little bit first. So 49. The pot begins to gurgle as I exchange pleasantries with Mr. Winters. Living here, it's a trade-off like so much in life. He looks past, past me at a high shelf. I could wish for access to a proper library, of course, but I know myself well enough. I'm strictly a dabbler. In the cities, his face wrinkles into taste. Too many people. Everybody rushing and shouting. We have a special place here in Emberhead. And someone must accept the responsibility for keeping it so. That was my father before me, and now the duty falls to me. He lifts his chin and straightens up. This evening, as the sun sets, look out at the landscape around the village. We have a pe we have peace up here. Halfway to the stars. Are we not privileged? Is this not worth the hardships we must accept? He looks at me speculatively. This seems a good time to go ahead and ask about that telegraph, I'm thinking. The telegraph? Hmm. Well, much as we value our isolation, we do need the link sometimes. And you were hoping to send a message? I must apologize. The line's been down for two weeks. I reported the fault, but of course, they're not so speedy when the problem lies in a rural area. 
I'm expecting a repair the next, the day after next. I do appreciate how frustrating this must be. The coach is due in what? Three days? But I think he's going west. Perhaps you might engage a wagon. One of the farmers might. I explained that I've asked a few of the residents already, but to no avail. I tell you what. Winters pours me a steaming cup of coffee. The dark liquid smells rich and strong. When the repair crew arrive, I'll ask them to take you back with them. How would that be? They may want a dollar or two to grease the wheels. The day after tomorrow. It's less than ideal, but it is the first real opportunity I've had. So, I can thank Winters and leave, or I can ask him about his library. Now, I'm a journalist, so I have a keen interest in books and, and history and stuff, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ready to leave just yet, so I am. I'm going to ask him about his library. I make a small but flattering remark about a couple of the volumes on his shelves. Winter blushes with, with great pleasure. Well, of course they're not my personal collections. They belong to the village, he says. But I did select the most recent most of the recent items. This is the community's library, you see. I put up the private sign to stop people just wandering in from in from meetings in the other room. But this really is a public space. I scan the shelves. There is a sparse but respectable collection on mathematics and the sciences, passable selections on history and arts, and a shelf of literature. He has a few lowbrow novels tucked away in the corner, with, with tatty copies of Bizarre Tales magazine. Quality does not always equate to popularity, I'm afraid. Winters gives me an apologetic smile. So I can take some time to research the library a little bit and go to page or go to 68, or I can leave while it's still light outside. I think I do want to leave while it's still light outside. I'm, you know, I'm not too interested in anything going to the library. I've already given it the once over. So let's head on outside. As the light fades, I return to the Ledbetter house and eat a light supper. Maya is unusually taciturn. Ruth's eyes flick to mine several times during the meal. There's an urgency there that I cannot quite interpret. Afterwards, May ushers the girl into their room. I've been in Ember barely one whole day, and I already feel confined by it, both geographically and socially. The evening seems to offer very little. So, I can go to do some scar... I can do some stargazing. I can attempt to speak to Ruth. Or, I do have that previous appointment. I think it's time to follow that up. So I'm going to go to... 200. Abergast is not at the appointed meeting place. I give him 10 minutes, but he still doesn't show. I curse the old crank for wasting my time and head back towards May's house. Psst. A hand snakes from a doorway and grabs my arm. I jump at the sight of, the, of, of that half-face glimpsed in starlight. One of them's near, he whispers, watching. Come with me. Going to 169. Arbogast leads me across the thoroughfare, slipping between houses. The metal structure looms at the end of the street. Silent now, he says, but the beacon will come alive tomorrow night. He ushers me into a little alcove behind the village school. He glances behind me, then sits down. Again, I feel uncomfortable in proximity to that scarred visage. One melted eyelid lifts. You don't have long. Understand this. I was the conduit, the interpreter, before that fool winners and his fancy words. The things which come to Emberhead care not for his words. Those idiots think this is a ritual of sacrifice. He spits on the ground. It is a ritual of control. They know the words, but they do not comprehend the forces they call. He sniffs and sits back. No, you have no time for more questions. I will teach you how to end it. In the moment when all is lost, you can return this hill to the earth, to the death that came 40 years ago. I've tried it myself, but... His head sags. I no longer have the concentration. 
The chant is simple. I can teach you, but you must perform it with clarity of mind that I have lacked for years. All right, so this man, Arbogast, is certainly strange. He's going on about old ones and gods and chants. I don't want to learn this chant. I've had enough of this Arbogast. Uh, I don't I don't want anything more to do with this fella. I just want to get out of here. And him teaching me this chant is just going to delay things. I mean, let's let's get to bed. I've had enough. I'm gone. 182. Alarm flares in his eyes as I stand and is quickly replaced by fiery hatred. Arbogast leans close to my face. Go then, and when the moment comes, remember, I offer you the chance to touch eternity. I will not offer it again. And just like that, he stalks off in the direction of the East Road. I shiver, and I head back to the Ledbetter house. I think I hear a faint human cry, weak and desperate, but I cannot place its direction, and I can find nothing in the shadowed alleyways. Let's go to 157. The neat bed, small wardrobe, and dressing mirror have the feel of a prison cell about them. What am I still doing here in Emberhead? My new life is out there in Arkham, elsewhere. I lie on the bed and stare at the small crack in the ceiling. I turn over the day's events, thinking through the little details I spotted. I'm certainly weary from the elevation and the fresh air, but do I feel safe here? If I let myself fall asleep, I'm going to go to 224. If I stay awake, if I'm bothered just enough to stay awake, I'm going to go to 230. Really, the only thing that's bothered me is Arbogast. And I, he doesn't seem like the breaking and entering and, and, you know, attacking me. I mean, he had his opportunity. So I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to allow myself to drift off to sleep. My eyelids are heavy, and whatever reservations... Blackness soon takes me. I dream again of fire in the grate, a small theater of lights twinkling in tiny drama. The flames seem to consume nothing, almost to hang in the air. A moment later, they are around my sleeping form, filling the room with flickering colors, blue, yellow, red, purple. They dance on and around me. Little tongues brush my flesh. 26. I drift awake in the morning light. The sun is already high, but I do not feel well rested. I find myself preoccupied with the little details of the room. The wood grain of the door jam, or a chipped handle on the wardrobe. As I swing out of bed, my stomach gives a lurch and I lean too far over, nearly tumbling to the floor. I blink for a moment. Perhaps an illness is coming on. I gather myself carefully to my feet. The air in the room is heavy and fragrant. I stare out the window until I feel steady enough to leave. I'm not well rested, so all my skill rows are going to suffer a penalty today. I rolled ten percentage. I rolled my tens twice and take the higher. Does not apply to luck or sanity, thank goodness, or damage. Didn't get a good night's sleep. Got to suffer for it. Everything's going to be a little bit harder. I'm sure you know that's going to be great whenever this story comes to a head. Sixty-four. The Ledbetter kitchen is empty, although bread and eggs have been laid out for my breakfast. She's, you know, Miss Ledbetter is very caring. A little, little, a little too small townsy, but she's very caring. She's, she's, she runs a good place. I'll be sure to put in a good word for anybody who passes through if I ever get out of here. <laughs> There's a note for May explaining that she has taken Ruth out for a few hours. All right, I'm going to go to 78 because I was not involved in a fight last night. Ooh, I don't know how I missed that, but I wasn't involved in a fight. 
So I make a quiet circuit of the village, pausing in unobtrusive places to just to watch the villagers. It's rather busy for this time in the morning. Yawning locals stream back and forth along the roads, carrying bundles of split logs to the site of what I've heard referred to as the beacon. I see two figures already up in its superstructure arranging the wood. The festival bonfire will be most impressive for sure, but do I intend to stay and see it? I suspect just a little bit that something's amiss. Just, a li- I don't know, something's strange. So, while the villagers are distracted, I can do some illicit investigation, or I can simply leave town without looking back. So now I can go and search the Ledbetter house. I don't think I have any reason to, though. I can go alone to the village hall and try to look in there. It doesn't seem like anything's hiding in there, though. Take a closer look at the artisan's courtyard. I mean, just people doing their wares, really. Uh, I can spy on activity at the beacon, or I can try to slip down the east road and flee for good. But that's still taking, that's still going on foot and leaving behind most of my stuff. So I think I'm going to sit here and spy is a harsh word, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to watch what's going on here at the beacon. The northern side of the village is bustling and, and I'm unlikely to remain hidden here for long. I head in the direction of the church and then move up to the east side of the behind the houses. A drop looms on my right. One particular section of the ground is quite narrow and I have to hug the building for support. I can give this approach up and go to 120 or I can continue, I can proceed and compare my size to my dex. If my desk, dex is higher, go to 42. My dex is higher. I want to continue on doing what I'm doing. I'm going to go to 42. Okay, so the turf sinks beneath my feet and stones crumble from the edge. Alarmed, I grip the building and ease myself forward. Finally, I have a good spot to watch the beacon. On to 61. I lie concealed in the grass and watch the activity around the beacon. Villagers bring in yet more bundles of tinder and stack them in neat bundles. Another shift passes the bundles up to a pair of men standing on the raised platform of the beacon. They're constructing a triangular structure resembling a gigantic campfire. This is going to be impressive when it's on fire. As I watch, I'm struck by the manner of the laborers. This is their festival. I would expect a cheerful atmosphere and some light-hearted conversation. Yet all the faces of yet the faces of some show resignation and attachment, others a naked dread. I watch for a good half hour before I slip away. All right, I'm beginning to feel a deepening unease about Emberhead and this, and this day in particular. So, what can I do? I can go check out Miss Ledbetter's bedroom, which I don't suspect her. I can take a look at the... <clears throat> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the village hall. Because if there's anything, if there's any history about this about this festival, that's where it's going to be. So I keep away from the streets, and I, I skirt north. I skirt the northern cliffs and approach the village hall from the rear. It's close to the beacon, and I will not. I won't be able to use the door unobserved. I check the windows. The one on the east side facing the beacon is bricked, is bricked up. There is a shutter loose on the westernmost window, and I'm able to ease it open and slide in, closing the shutter behind me. I drop into the village meeting room and pad through, passing through dim shafts of light and listening to the excited chatter of locals from outside. The door opposite reads private, hearing nothing from the other side. I turn the handle. As I noticed before, the room is lined with books. In the the corner, there is a small water closet and pantry. 
A quick survey of the rest of the room reveals little, so I turn to the bookcase. The light is dim in here. It's hard to it's hard to read the spines. So let's make a spot hidden. See if I can find anything worth seeing. I haven't looked at the before, so I don't get a bonus die. 97. That's a fail. I fail everything. So let's go to 140. So tucked between two books, I find a detailed map of the area around Emberhead. It shows woodland, contours, and two roads east and west. Although no other settlements are marked, this may be useful if I decide to leave today. The clatter of activity around the beacon seems to be building, and I flinch at every conversation that gets too close to the building's door. It feels the right time to retrace my steps, slipping away through the window. Alright, so let's see. I'm going to go and get a closer look at the artisan's courtyard. I approach around the back of the buildings in Emberhead's northwestern corner. By this time in the morning, I would expect activity in the artisan's courtyard, but the benches and anvils sit deserted. The footsteps echo, my footsteps echo off the surrounding walls. One of the workshops is shut up and padlocked. I peek through the joints, but I can't see anything. I can try to crack the padlock, or I can try to physically break in the locked work workshop, or I can move on to another area. Um, I don't really have anything, you know, I'm just going to move on to another area. I'm not going to, I mean, physically breaking into something is going to make a lot of noise. I don't think I have the skills to, to, you know, to pick a lock. So let's move on to another area. So let's go to 98. I'm contemplating my next move when I see one villager, a bald man with a damaged ear, watching me intently. Some instinct makes me walk in the other direction. There's something about him. Then I see others ahead and to my sides. A wary teenager, an evil-eyed matron, a man hefting a club. They are not staring as obviously as the first, but they keep, they keep me under watch. And they're closing in. I cannot hope to overcome four of them at once. Something's wrong here. Something is terribly wrong. So I can try to lose them amongst the buildings, or I can make a run for it. Uh, I'm pretty dexterous. I'm pretty fast, so I think I'm going to try to make a run for it. 164. These people know, and these people know their village better than I do. I pick the biggest gap between them and sprint. They give chase. I find myself heading for the southern road. As I approach, I see four villagers stationed in the middle of the road, clearly guards. I veer off towards a half-ruined church, already breathing hard. I slip inside the building through a broken window and duck under the elderly boards which slash the interior, making for the door to the other side. The door is quite intact, moldy, and locked. Two of my pursuers climb into the church through the windows. The other two enter by the main door. Give it up. One thumps his club into his palm. It'll go better for you if you don't resist. They close in. I'm low on options here. I can give myself up, or I can try to collapse a section of the roof on them. Um, I mean, they, they're circling me. They, they want me. So I am. I'm going to try to collapse a section of the roof on them, because it seems like they have ill intent for me. So the best thing I can do is fight. So even as I spin around and look for a weak point, I know this plan is deranged. Less than two days ago, I was taking a coach ride to a new job, and now I'm trying to demolish a church while still inside it. Under one section of a partially collapsed roof, I see a wooden pillar which is already bowed. I snatch up a piece of bro broken ironwork and hope I'm going to make a hard strength roll and see what happens. So I've got to get 
I mean, my strength is 60, hard is a 30. So I have to get 30 or better. 42, that is a fail. All right, so I hit it, I go and I fail. 183, I beat the pillar with all my strength. The villagers draw back in alarm, then relax as they see I'm having no effect whatsoever. They back me against the church wall. I swing my club for a few desperate seconds, but they overpower me and tear it from my fingers. The fading light from a narrow window tells me afternoon is giving way to evening. My hands are shackled behind my back, so I cannot even lie down on a, on the rough bed. A woman I have not seen before comes in. Her face is wrinkled, her eyes dull. Her eyes don't meet mine, but she puts a puts a cup to my lips. So, I can accept the drink and go to 104, or I can reject it. Well, I'm going to reject it. These people have taken me prisoner, so I don't want anything from them. Don't take drinks from strangers. Come on. I turn my face away, and when she tries again, I dash the cup from her hands using the side of my head. The clear liquid spills across the floor. The woman gives a half shrug and turns to leave the room. I shout after her, but she gives no reaction. And, conveniently enough, I soon become thirsty. As the light fades outside, my little prison becomes dark. I can hear so much activity around the building. Occasionally, an orange glow passes the window. The only comfortable position in the shackles seems to be to sit against the end of the bed with my arms hanging behind me. It's not very comfortable. I need to concentrate and come up with a plan. There's clearly no escape for my bonds. I don't know exactly what my captors want, but I cannot ignore the fact that they have spent the entire day constructing a massive bonfire. I fear I know what they have planned. And while I'm thinking about it, the door scrapes, wrenching me back into the moment. Orange light spills into the house from blazing torches held at the threshold. Two large villagers step in and grab me. At least I assume they are villagers. They wear heavy black cloaks, and their faces and hands are painted entirely black, save only a red triangle centered on their left eye. I try to drag my legs, but they reach under my arms and lift me, lift me bodily from the bed. Outside, it seems the whole village has congregated to see me. Every single one has a blackened face with a red triangle motif. Torches sputter and spill fire. I struggle, but I can see, but I can see physical resistance is hopeless. I march to the central street and turn to face the beacon. The procession down the approach is slow and formal, save for when I sense weakness and try to yank at my captors. A chill touches me when I see three human shapes carried ahead of me, draped in red cloth. The beacon looms larger and larger, its dreadful silhouette a black triangle pointing to the stars. A low drone begins among the cloaked figures, unbidden. The word mourners comes to mind. Smoke from their torches makes me cough. I feel the heat on my face. As I reach the cleared area around the beacon, three dancers break from the pack. Young girls swinging balls of fire in spectacular arcs, drawing circles in the night air. One by one, they draw close to me and touch my forehead with sooty fingers. Each kisses me three times, on the left cheek, right cheek, then the forehead. Then they whisper in my ear. The smell of kerosene fills my nostrils. All right, I get to make an app roll, an, an appearance roll. Let's see, here we go. Not very good on the old app. Only got a 50. And the failures continue. That was a 64. All right. Through your sacrifice, the village will be reborn, says the first answer. You pass from earth to air for all our sakes, says the second. Through incandescence, may you find rapture, says the third. Their dance weaves off and disappears behind the buildings. Go to 18. 
I'm really worried, everybody. Really worried I'm going to burn alive here. As I arrive beneath the beacon, ten villagers close in on me. Working with surprising coordination, they immobilize me and lift me up the blackened iron stairs to the raised platforms. I cannot help but shiver at the sight of the central framework, twisted from past blazes, and what I can now clearly see to be fastening points for chains. None of the eyes meet mine as they lash, lash me to the metal. A second group ascends to the beacon carrying three red-draped bodies. With reverence, they arrange their burdens in a triangle around my feet. Then they withdraw, leaving me alone with the dead, shin-deep in a sea of kindling. It seems the entire village is gathered around the beacon to watch me burn. Behind the face paint, I recognize May Ledbetter. And yes, that is Silas, the coach driver, standing at her side. The audacity and scale of the deception staggers me. A man steps up on a dais and raises his hands with quiet authority. The frame of his spectacles obscures the red triangle on his face. So we draw here together again on this night, as we do each year, and we give thanks to the one who will preserve the village against the fire of the void. You'll be taken by the ones from above in our stead. Your death will bring life to our streets and bounty to our fields. It will safeguard our children and our elders alike for another year. We salute you. He bows his head. All around the beacon, bearers step forward and lift their torches to the edge of the raised platform. A ring of tiny flames flicker up around the perimeter. As they wink, the singing of the villagers drops into an unearthly rhythm. So, I can throw all my remaining strength against the bonds and try, or I can just wait and see what happens. I mean, I think I have to throw all my remaining strength against the bonds. I have to try to get out of here. Because if I wait, I'm going to be burned, right? I'm going to be burned, right? Burned? Yeah. I can't burn. i got to at least try. So, to the section 44 it is. I'm tired, and my flesh ought to be insufficient against the dark iron of the chains. Yet I can feel them give, give just a little. There's a weakness in one of these links. I'm going to make a hard, hard strength throw. And if I succeed, maybe I'll get out of here. My strength is 60, so come on, dice. Don't fail me now. That's an 11. That's a pass. That is better than half. I had to be better than 30. I got an 11. I got passed. All right, so let's see. I succeed. Let's go to 53. As tongues of fire lick towards me through the kindling, I close my eyes and I heave one last time of the chains. They give a little more, and then clack. One side of the chain drops. I wriggle in the coils, loosening the bond even as the heat singes my ankles. The man on the dais stares at my movements. Then he picks two youths from the crowd and points directly at me. Just as I shrug the chain off and step free from the ironwork, the youths mount the blazing platforms. Flames spread up their trousers. As their cloaks catch, they dive at me. Alright, I gotta make a hard dodge roll to see if I can dodge past them. My dodge is pretty good. It's half my dex, so... It, uh, you know, my dex is 80, so I gotta make a 40 or better. 31! Oh my god, my luck continues. My luck continues. Alright, so that's a success. Go to 109. So they, re they jump at me, and I slither from the grasp of the use. Fire pours across their shoulders and ignites their hair. Curtains of smoke shroud me. My legs are burning. I have to get off this beacon. All right, I got to take 1d6 of damage from the fire. And that's a 6. Oh, my God, I'm down to 4. Oh, my Lord, I'm at 4. Okay, but I'm not dead, so let's go to 137. I leap from the conflagration on the far side of the beacon. My heart lurches momentarily at the sight of the sheer drop beneath me, but I land a few inches short of the edge. I roll to extinguish my burning clothes. My lungs feel singed. Everything hurts. 
The chant of the villagers gathers in intensity. I peer around the beacon. They don't seem to have noticed my absence amidst the billowing smoke. Most of them are staring into the sky. I crawl as rapidly as I can for cover of the nearest building. Go to 156. I don't know. I might get out of here. I mean, I'm definitely going to have some lasting damage done to me, of course. With that 6, I'm down to... I mean, I'm barely, barely making it. With the villagers assembled at the beacon, the streets are empty and I'm able to pad away from the blaze. I must get out of town before they finish. The chanting seems to accelerate it as, as I round the corner of the southern road. Here, parked against the side of the general store, I have my first piece of luck since reaching Emberhead. A, a bicycle! I settle into the saddle and my burned flesh protests at the contact. To wait and observe the goings on at the beacon. Go to 160. No, I'm riding out of town immediately. 185. All right. It takes a moment to recapture the skill of riding the bicycle, but after the first turn to the east, there is a long downhill out of Emberhead. I hear screams and crackles above me, but concentrate on balancing and working the pedals in my weakened state. I've had too many hopes dashed in this abomination of a village. I keep my head down and ride away. Twenty minutes later, with no signs of pursuit, I stop for a breather atop of the hill. I can see Emberhead rise in the distance. The entire village appears to be ablaze. The dark column of smoke above it will be visible for many miles. But if the village is, is as isolated as it seems, help is unlikely to arrive in time. I watch the place burn for five minutes. Then I mount the bicycle and ride again towards civilization at dawn. Congratulations! You have survived this adventure. You may keep your investigator sheet and use it in another Call of Cthulhu scenario. If you have checked, marked the... Okay, yeah. Some leveling up stuff I'm not going to worry about. But I survived. I didn't think I was going to, guys. I really honestly thought I was dead the entire time because I wasn't being proactive. I was just trying to get out. Nothing. I wasn't suspecting anybody. Probably if I suspected stuff, I would have looked more into stuff and got myself captured and then really, really been messed up. I had the one dice row go my way. And thankfully it did. And I burst free of those chains and got out. So I'll ride my bike to the nearest town get better, and forget this place of Emberhead ever existed. And that's it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I know it's a little bit different than what I usually do, but circumstances led me to this, and, you know, I had a lot of fun playing through this adventure. I like these uh, these solo RPGs. I'm going to seek out a lot more. I know Chaosium has done a few more. Uh, I think uh, Alone Against the Code or something, I think, for Call of Cthulhu, so I'm definitely going to look into those. Uh, it's, it's really cool, especially when... Maybe you just you can't get a game together and you still want to do a little bit of role playing. Just sit down uh, and, you know, go through one of these. And there's a lot of paths I didn't take. I'll put it in the show notes, the link to this to this adventure so you can try it out for yourself. All you need is a set of all you need is a set of uh, RPG dice and a character sheet, all that stuff. you can, Well, except for the dice, you have to get your own dice. But all the other stuff you need, you can get from the Chaosium website. Like I said, I'll be sure to link to it. Not much else to say, guys, except I'm going to sign off, get out of here, have fun, and roll to play. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Visit Roll2PlayPodcast.com for more information. R-O-L-L-2PlayPodcast.com Like us over on Facebook at Roll2PlayPodcast. Follow us on Twitter at Roll2PlayPod. Have a question or comment? Email us at Roll2PlayPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to play with a game with us, just hit us up on any of our social media and let us know. And lastly, our music is the intro track from the Spellbreaker EP by Tritachion. Visit soundcloud.com slash Tritachion.